Hello and welcome. My name is Assad. My name is Jamie. We're two surgical trainees in the north of England, and this is the podcast that aims to dissect, to probe, to anatomize, and analyze what it is to be a surgical trainee. Welcome to It's Always Sunny in Surgery. I'm here with Mr. Nadim Khwaja, who is the head of the Northwest School of Surgery. So uh, obviously a good place to start because I think there's lots of things that we don't really, as trainees, understand about the rear echelons of of what the deanery is and what the deanery do. So good morning, Mr. Khwaja. Hi, morning, Asad. Thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me. Great to be here. Thanks so much for coming. Um, I think it's really good that you and really helpful that you can make the time to to uh, come here today. I, you know, I've been in the deanery since 2013, and I, you know, I still don't really understand all the nitty gritty of what the school of surgery is and what it does. And I'm sure that there'll be quite a lot of people who probably feel the same way. So it'd be great to hear from you a little bit more detail about, you know, who the school are, what they do, etc. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, don't worry, I'm still learning all the time various aspects of things. So yeah, it is, it is a, a complex situation. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that word, the deanery, you know, it's often something you think about when it's ARCPs or someone's going to tell you off about something in inverted commas. Um, the deanery actually has quite a wide function and um, the School of Surgery. Um I can go through that in a in a bit of detail and we can chat about it. I think it might be easier just to say a little bit of what we don't do, because that's often where there's a bit of mix up. So what the deanery don't do, we don't employ trainees. Yeah. So employment is done by somebody else, like the lead employer or your hospital, depending which part of the country you're in. Yeah. And the other thing we don't do is set the curriculum or set the exam. So that's done by the colleges or the SACs. We'll, we'll talk about that more in a bit. Sure. But really, that leaves everything else. Um, which once you're in a training program is running the training program, making sure it's of the right standard, you're getting the right curriculum requirements, you're getting some teaching, some education. Obviously, the ARCP comes to everybody's mind very quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, now is a good example with new curriculum, you know, things like SIPs and GPCs, making sure you're getting getting to be a good doctor and you're going to be a good surgeon who can achieve a CCT. But, of course, that's where it comes to a bit of value-added stuff is, you know, are we getting you on trajectory for you to achieve what you want to achieve as an individual? And it can be quite difficult to lose track of the individual over the whole process because the process is big and there's a lot of standards, a lot of step points. But really, in you know, every deanery in the country and obviously in Northwest, for us specifically, we want trainees to be happy and comfortable in their training and develop in whatever area they're interested in. Obviously, CCT is the main goal, but all trainees have different areas they're interested in. Yeah, And I guess that moves into some of the value-added stuff that we do, apart from all the basics. Um, things like courses, the mentorship, which obviously you guys are fully uh, fully uh, running, pastoral care, well-being. And perhaps importantly, and this fits with the good, the bad, and the ugly you mentioned, 
dealing with concerns, complaints, you know, those are very important to be dealt with and approached and so on. Obviously, trying to create an environment where there are less complaints and concerns, yeah. uh, uh, difficult with, dealing with difficult behaviours in colleagues, that sort of thing. So it's quite a wide a wide remit when you start, and it involves a lot of people. You say that you do training, but I think training itself is this huge umbrella term for many different facets. Um ensuring quality of training that sounds like a really abstract thing so quality is quite interesting so i should declare um uh, for transparency that as well as being head of school i'm also the quality lead for the jcst so obviously that's a national role where i oversee quality for all surgical specialties across the country yeah. so a bit of understanding on that so quality is a very wide umbrella term again a bit of um a little bit of small print but important to know that quality assurance is done by the gmc uh, so they're responsible for that through the GMC surveys and that sort of thing. But we're responsible for delivering the program and obviously with the colleges about what a surgical program should look like. Uh, that's where the JCST fits in. So it's things like, are you getting the right, you know, it's those quality indicators, for example, that you may have seen on the JCST website, are easily available there. Um, are you getting enough theatre sessions, enough clinic? Are you getting the right teaching, study leave access? You know, are you having any difficult issues with any behaviours or bullying harassment? You know those sort of things, um, but yeah, quality is quite a wide, uh, uh, a wide remit of things. One thing I do, you touched upon, I said I'll just mention here. Actually, it's a really yeah. good point you raised. When people think of my role or training program directors or various other people in the deanery, they always think of teaching, yeah, and teaching and education. You know, doing a lecture or running a course or something. And that is part of it. But I think it's really important to understand the slight difference between delivering teaching, but overseeing education and leadership of it. So that's slightly different. And that's really what a TPD role is. And my role is, is education, leadership and management, because the program is much more than just teaching. But that's often what people think of these sort of roles. So uh, it's quite a wide thing. So what other things does the school do for for the, let's assume, the average performing trainee, um, aside from AICPs? Because that's really the only contact I have. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's that's a good question. So there's, there's two sides to this coin. You could argue that's a good thing, that actually you're not on the school's radar if you're not dipping under. But actually, I'd say the reverse is true. You know, we really need to reach out more, be a bit visible. And actually, there probably is more visibility, but you're not labelling it as the school so every interaction with your TPD um, has got a school oversight of it uh, because I directly oversee and work very closely with the TPDs. And also your AESs and CSs who are delivering the day-to-day education, they get quite a bit of development and guidance from the school. There are other avenues as well, um, but that's where we fit in. I think it's we obviously run the inductions, things like that. We do a number of in-house courses. Um, I think the last couple of years has been quite a dip because of the pandemic. Sure. And that's changed things quite a lot. So to give an example, before the pandemic, we used to do things like um, a trainee away day, interview prep courses, uh, exam prep, that sort of thing. And we're going to restart those next year. Um, and we're actually going to make them a bit more, uh, a bit wider than they were before the pandemic. So uh I think what I've noticed is at the moment is you have an induction and then that's the last time you see the school till the ARCPs. 
so we'd like to change that around a little bit where we're adding a bit more value to the um you know getting you understanding what the school's doing and what it can do for you really yeah i mean i will say that's a, that's a fair point it's been quite a while since i was co-trainee but i remember there were some really really good courses there was a cadaveric dissection which i have to say was like kind of exceptional to get as a core trainee and then there were st3 interview prep sessions and they were sort of run out of core training you know the teaching that happens on a fortnightly basis is that something that the school of surgery provides a funding for or helps organize Yeah, exactly so again everything you're mentioning all falls under the remit of the school so the core training program is direct yeah. under the school but of yeah. course it's delivered by the core surgery team yeah. for education um and therefore they sort of deliver that but yeah so we're restarting all of that the cadaveric we've had really nicely in the northwest for core training yeah we're now looking at developing that for higher surgical trainees as well um so again one of the jobs of the school is to look for the funding yeah oversee the management of it and to find the faculty as well and make sure your faculty's trained make sure you're released from training uh, you know, the workplace to get to these sessions so that's what I'm saying. It's more than just teaching. It's about managing all these things. But yeah, there's so many um, added value things that uh, a deanery can provide. It's how to um, sort of mix that in with all your workplace commitments and obviously on the job learning as well. Perhaps we as trainees for the past couple of years have really missed out on this because it, you know, it adds quite a lot of value and oh, we'll touch on the pandemic later, but um, it, it, it helps you develop professionally in, in ways beyond clinics or theatre or whatever i think so i think one example i might you may come on to this later on i said but one example i'll give in here is that even with the pandemic we introduced um the knots course which is a non-technical skills yeah. surgeons course but n- not so much the detail of that we can come back to that later but we brought it in during the pandemic so we did it online yeah um, but specifically we made it across speciality so all the surgical specialties were attending the same course and it fits in with what you just said about professionalism shared learning collaboration yeah. What's really nice is to work, see what other surgeons are up to as well. You know, what's the cardiac yeah. surgeon up to? What's the orthopedic surgeon up to? Where I'd really like to go with that is that we then do it with anaesthetists, with the theatre team, with ED colleagues. But that's the, for the that's the next level to go to. So um, I think the networking side of what we've missed out on has been huge, and hopefully we're getting back to that now. One of the things that I was hoping you could shed some light on is there are quite a lot of acronyms that are batted around by different people. We talk about the AES, the TPD, the HOS, the PGD, the AD. Maybe there are people who are very well clued up on this, but for those that aren't, could you just sort of explain who they are and how they kind of work together? Like what's the hierarchy of it? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And, uh, I've been in various meetings and things where I've said a whole sentence, which has just been a load of acronyms, one after the other. It's it's quite frightening how that can uh, yeah. morph into that. And I think I don't think you're alone in this. I think there's many uh, people, and not just trainees, but other people in the uh, system who may not understand these things. I think it's a really valid question. So there is a bit of a hierarchy. I'll, I'll start at the the base level and work up. So 
CS clinical supervisor, AES assigned educational supervisor. Now, actually, AES is an interesting one because if you say AES to certain people in other specialties, they won't have a clue what that means. That's a slightly surgical term that JCST brought in. Really, other specialties call it the ES educational supervisor. You know, it's interesting. I, like I've been doing this now for nearly ten years, and I've never, I've never known what the A actually stood for. Yeah, assigned so, educational supervisor. Right. So, you know, so there's a crossover between the two. So these things sort of came in about you know ten, fifteen years ago when the whole yeah. system was being overhauled, where you had supervisors before, but it wasn't quite as formal. So your clinical supervisor is really your day-to-day supervisor, someone who you'll do clinic with, theatre with, on calls. You can have multiple clinical supervisors, as often we work with multiple different people nowadays. You know, the days of one trainee being with one consultant for a year, you know, that's changed over many years. So that's the CS. The assigned educational supervisor is someone who has a much more global overview for a period of time, and that depends how long they are your supervisor for. So the clinical supervisor is your supervisor for a placement, whether it's four months, six months, or a year. Yeah. Educational supervisor can be for a placement or for longer. So generally they're for a year, but some specialties have the supervisor for the full six years of training uh, in some specialties. And the idea of the AES is to provide a more holistic overview. So your aims and objectives, the way up to the exams, what your plans are with courses, where your trajectory is going what's your personal development and where you sit within the curriculum. So there's a bit of a more global overview. That's the AES. Then as the pyramid goes up, really the next person up, an absolutely key central fundamental person is the good old TPD, training program director. Uh, And, you know, in certain circumstances can feel like quite an intimidating person in in the structure. The TPD is there to bring together all aspects of the training within your program. So they're a consultant in that speciality. So if you're an orthopedic trainee, they'll be an orthopedic surgeon. And they look at your placements over the six years. And again, they coordinate all the aspects I mentioned before, such as quality and curriculum delivery, ARCPs. They're responsible for the ARCPs um, uh, and the pastoral care, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the TPD. Above the TPDs, then, this does vary a little bit by deanery, but generally speaking, you then have a head of school yeah. Um, and the head of school oversees all the TPDs for all the specialities or for all the surgical specialities. Sometimes you might have associate head of school or deputy head of school. Yeah. Uh, because of the size of the region or the size of the deanery. And some deaneries also have some deputy TPDs or TPDs which cover other things, such as you might have a TPD for cadaveric training or you might have a TPD for professionalism. These are new things that are coming out. Yeah. Um, from the trainer point of view, the whole idea of the TPD roles is that these are paid roles, so they get some recognition for this in their job plan. Same for the AES, but the CS, you don't get additional funding. That's just part of your day-to-day job as a consultant. Yeah. And that's quite important to recognize uh, the difference between those two uh, two things. As you go slightly further up this uh, pyramid, as you're getting narrower and narrower now, so the heads of school then work closely with associate deans Okay. Um, so again, this varies a little bit by region, but the associate dean is essentially um, somebody who's not of your same speciality. So my associate dean I work with closely is not a surgeon, and that works really well. Um, and there to oversee you know, as a, a sort of a critical friend, a support for me, 
uh, and to oversee the HE side of things in the uh, in the program. So things like ARCPs, uh, all the aspects we've talked about so far, and uh, they're a really um, a useful person to give a bit of externality as well. Because uh, sometimes when you're in your own speciality, you get very tunnel vision about what you think you need or what the problems are. And then above the associate dean, there are then deputy deans, uh, which our region has uh, five or six. And then there's the postgraduate dean, the PGD, postgraduate dean. Yeah. That's a very uh, um, sort of overarching job, which has a very significant responsibility, uh, which we can go into later on. The only thing I'll say about the postgraduate dean is that they are the what's called the responsible officer. So if any trainee has any complaint made against them or concern raised that's significant or anything related to the GMC, then the dean is very much involved in that because they're what's called the responsible officer. But we can come back to that as, as you want to. So those are the main, uh, the main acronyms uh, from the deanery point of view. Okay. So just so I feel like I get this a bit better. So your clinical supervisor is the person that watches you on a day-to-day bit and um, is there to deliver the sort of training and teach you the craft. Educational supervisors or assigned educational supervisors are a bit more sort of trajectory and then career planning and five-year plans and and that sort of thing, um, trying to develop you against the curriculum. And then I suppose you could say that TPDs, are responsible for delivery. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably just tweak that very slightly. So I think yeah. the AES is probably a year overview. There are oh. one or two programs who have a longer overview, but generally the AES is a year overview, and then the TPD is the five six year overview. Fine. Um, the one thing to bear, one thing I should have you know, touched upon earlier is that these educational supervisor, clinical supervisor, don't need to be a consultant trainer. Um, there are many um, staff oh, really? grade uh, colleagues who are very qualified to do these roles. Yeah, and yeah. as long as any colleague, whether a consultant or a non-consultant, yeah. um, have done the appropriate training and are signed off to do these roles, uh, then um, that's a very valuable part of the workforce who contribute to this training. So that's something to bear in mind because there's a lot of highly skilled educators who are not a consultant, who don't have the consultant label. Uh, next to their um you know their job title yeah fair fair it sounds like most of the time that we as trainees will just deal with clinical supervisors assigned educational supervisors and tpds and then is it fair to say that like a head of school is a aes for a tpd almost yeah yeah i think that's uh, i think that's a fair uh a fair point. There is a lot of crossover between these roles. Yeah. Well, CS is an AO. Many consultants do all, you know, TPD, there's a very small number of TPDs, but there's um, a lot of ASs and CSs in a department. And there's a lot yeah. of crossover. Many people would do both roles. Yeah. Trainees. And at the moment, we're probably really talking about higher surgical training and core surgical. Yeah. Uh, but remember, there are non-training grades that'll be supervising and also foundation and undergraduates. Yeah. So people do a lot of supervision. And there is a lot of crossover. So your experience with one AS and CS may be quite different with another in terms of how they do it. And obviously, there's only one TPD for each program. Can someone, one person do both roles for the same person at the same time? Like can you, can you-, do, you can do. And in certain smaller specialities like pediatric surgery, cardiothoracic, yeah. neurosurgery, where there's much more concentration of vascular surgery, for example, yeah. that can happen. It's preferable not to. 
Yeah. Um, it's preferable not to. It gives a bit of externality having both. Cool. Uh, whether we touch upon it today, we'll see. But the new curriculum, the MCRs, has really brought this forward. It's much, much better to have a separate CS. And, yeah. and generally, that's what people like doing anyway on the consultant side as well. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. It. Now I understand it a bit better. There, there, are two, there are two fundamentally different jobs that you do. And trying to switch from one to another with the same person at the same time is probably like you put a different thinking cap on probably a little bit awkward yeah it can vary a little bit again it depends on the understanding and skills of the um aes's and cs's as well because um uh, although all consultants are generally very keen enthusiastic to train and teach there's a quite a wide variation in what skill mix there is in doing this role the way we're different as surgeons yeah, we're different in these roles as well. So one of our jobs as a school of surgery is to maintain a minimum standard yeah. of an AS or CS would be while trying to achieve excellence as well. But we need to make sure all ASs and CSs reach a minimum. Yeah, yeah. I have another question while we're on the uh, acronym bandwagon, and that is: we hear that dotted around the JCST and SAC, and uh, yeah, it's just more alphabet soup. Could you just shine a light on who they are and, and what their roles are in things? Yeah, definitely. And they're, they're quite an important uh, quite an important part of the system. So the JCST, uh, its name has changed over a number of years, but I guess yeah. um, some of the um, older consultants will remember it as different names. Uh, but now it's Joint Committee of Surgical Training. Okay. So what is JCST, Joint Committee of Surgical Training, is an intercollegiate body. So it represents four royal colleges of surgery. So you've got... Oh, three- okay. You've got three in the UK, and it also covers Ireland as well. So the Royal yeah. College of Surgeons of England, College of Surgeons of Edinburgh, yeah, Glasgow, yeah, and Ireland, as in the island of Ireland, yeah, yeah. So yeah. those four colleges, um, on various aspects, they do their own individual thing, sure, like courses and conferences, or whatever. But on certain really key topics, they combine their forces together to make sure the standard is the same across all surgical training. So a couple of examples of that. One is the JCST, which is the yeah. Joint Committee of Surgical Training. The other is the exams. So exam boards, which yeah. has a different acronym, JCIE, Joint Committee of Intercollegiate Examinations. Right. There's a different one for MRCS. So that's intercollegiate. So everyone, all trainees have the same standard, no matter which college you join. Yeah. So the JCST oversees everything to do with surgical training from the point of view of writing the curriculum. So the JCST are responsible for that. And that's where the SAC fits in. So what SAC stands for is Specialist Advisory Committee. Now, every speciality has an SAC. So this is not a surgical thing. OBS and gynae, pediatrics. Oh, right. Okay. They all have their Royal College and they all have then their SAC, Specialty Advisory Committee. Surgery is slightly unusual. We're very similar to medicine because if you think of OBS and gynae, you've got a Royal College, and you've got one specialty of OBS and gynae. Yeah. Medicine, like surgery, you've got multiple, multiple subspecialities, which you need to think about. Medicine's got even more than surgery. Yeah. So there are 10 SACs, 10 Specialist Advisory Committees, ENT, Plastics, Vascular, yeah. Trauma, Orthopedics, um, and the various other ones. Core surgery is a separate one. That's yeah. slightly number 11, but of course it crosses all the 10 specialities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now you could break those specialties down even more if you wanted to, because obviously, um, you know, within general surgery, there's upper GI, there's lower GI, there's hepatobiliary, there's a whole range of things. However, what's useful to have an understanding of is that these 10 specialities 
of what you can get a CCT in, which is a completion, a certificate of completion of training. Yeah. So you can get a CCT in vascular surgery and orthopedics. You don't get one in hand surgery. You don't get one in upper GI surgery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. these specialities are decided by the GMC, the General Medical Council. Sure. So they tell us, and there's about 60 specialities altogether, uh, 10 of which are in surgery. So the JCST are responsible for overseeing all the surgical SACs. I see. So, so the appointment of the chair, who's on, the, who sits on those committees, um, and that sort of thing, and uh, is all done by the JCST. So the the JCST kind of decides or sets the curriculum or the standards, and then they use the SAC as their like nominated people to enact that, and then the SAC sort of gives that like, um, so it's a bit of a combination of a pyramid but also a bit of a venn diagram where there's lots of crossover with things yeah well. so from a pyramid point of view yeah you've got the sac's the 10 specialities yeah uh, each surgical specialty and then you've got the jcst above that the the sort of um um the leadership the senior leadership of the uh, jcst and it's probably worth mentioning at this point there's four aspects to the leadership of the jcst so one is the role i have which is a quality lead yeah um, the other is, which will be very, this one will be very familiar to all of your listeners, I'm sure, which is ISCP. Oh, yeah. yeah. The director of ISCP, um, which obviously is the online portfolio for surgery. Yeah. So that's a key role. Then you've got the chair of the JCST, who is like the boss. Yeah. Uh, sees everything. And then you have, um, a relatively new role, which is a research lead, which is looking at trying to bring a lot of things together and seeing how we enhance and improve surgical training. Uh, what's useful to know is for your um, audience as well is that that's the clinical leadership, but there's also a very um, well-established and good structure of a secretariat and administrative side of it because managing this level of surgical education needs a lot of um, administrative support and sort of managerial support. So um, many of your colleagues would have touched base with ICP help desk or yeah, yeah, yeah. about fellowships or out of program. Uh, because that's where the JCST also have an oversight of looking at out-of-program requests, and um, they're the ones who award uh, a CCT award is a good example. So CCTs are actually awarded by the GMC, yeah, but they only award them when they're recommended by the JCST. I see. Okay, and the JCST can only recommend it once the deanery have signed off an ARCP six. So. This is where we all work together collaboratively yeah. to get to that same point. But sometimes it is useful to know who's responsible for what, uh, especially if there's a specific query or question a trainee gets stuck with. Okay, so is it is it fair to say, no, I'm not trying to be reductionist here, but I'm just trying to make it a bit clearer, that right at the top, you've got the GMC, and then just below them for surgery, you've got the JCST, and below them, you've, you've got the deanery, and then... And it's kind of like that's the, the sort of way it sort of trickles down. It's a really, it's a really interesting question. And a few, about three, four years ago, I would have probably gone down that line. Now, and this is what when I said it um, earlier on about my understanding is changing yeah. all the time, and I'm learning all the time. So yeah. rather than the hierarchy, probably complement each other. So the GMC is the regulator who sort of has the ultimate say over the whole of medical education and does sense check all the curricula to make sure there are similar principles across all medical specialities. JCST, as mentioned, sets the curricula, looks after SACs, and the, the deanery 
really about managing the training programs, recruitment, uh, ARCPs, and getting you through to uh, certification. And there's a lot of crossover between those three bodies. Depending what the situation is, you may find one is much more involved than the other. Understand we all like these sort of hierarchy things, I guess. Yeah. And it's very difficult to have a completely flat hierarchy. It depends what the topic is. So I think it depends on... That's why it's important to know who the inquiry should go to. So, for example, if it's about the curriculum, yeah, it's really the JCST. Now, the JCST take a lot of guidance and oversight from the GMC, so that's them two working together. Yeah. If it's something to do with ARCP, then really the JCST have much less involvement yeah, 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 yeah. on the day-to-day basis. So it depends what it is. And the one that really comes on my radar when it comes to very difficult situations, usually things like concerns, complaints, yeah. employment issues, then it's very much the deanery. I get you. Yeah. Very much the deanery. So, um, yeah, but all three are always working together, really. Uh, the GMC is probably a little bit more detached in a way because you don't have direct yeah. uh, approach with them. You go through the JCST or the deanery to approach them. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, I, think, I think that's how I would uh, uh, sort of uh, look at it. And because I have a role on the JCST and the deanery, I feel that I sort of sit between the two. Yeah. Um, I'm probably going to avoid asking too many more questions about that because it's giving me like anxiety. It's like cr- the Krebs cycle all over again. It's, 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 it's actually, to be honest, if I've got a slide for some talks that I do, so I've I used to sit on the SAC, yeah, and now I do the induction for new SAC members. Uh, and a slide I show is about the structure of medical education, and it's a bit of a simplified one, yeah. and it makes the Krebs cycle look easy. <laughs> it looks. <laughs> So yeah, you're absolutely right. The number of arrows crossing over each other and yeah. interlinking is just massive. Okay, all right. Well, better, better draw a line than that before it we works. It, it works. It works to a greater degree, though. So it's not all bad. Fair, fair. There's one question that I have that is, um, I still don't know the answer to, but who or what are surgical tutors? Oh, yeah, I didn't touch upon them. Um, should have put them in the acronyms question as well a bit because often you get here just the word STEs or tutors yeah. or various things. So surgical tutors are an interesting one. They're sort of probably developed quite a while back and the system has changed a lot over time. Yeah. So in some ways, we've moved on. In other ways, they're actually quite a nice role, and it depends on how each deanery has a slightly different way they use them. So starting at the beginning, the surgical tutor is a role developed by the English Royal College of Surgeons specifically. So the idea is that it is a link between the English college, the trust, the hospital, and the deanery. Now, they're three separate. Now, one thing we've talked a lot about deanery and... um, SAC, JCST, all the acronyms, but we've not talked about the trusts at all. We, we, we'll come back to them because the employer is a really important factor in all of this. Okay. So the surgical tutor role is trying to bring these three things together. Um, and really, they're one person on the hospital site for surgery who can sort of be an advocate for training, this sort of thing. It's probably evolved and it needs to move forward on that. So traditionally, the surgical tutor was always a general surgeon or an orthopedic surgeon. Yeah. Regardless of what other specialties you have in your hospital. So really, they used to just represent that group. So things like cardiothoracics, plastics, ENT, 
yeah. in fact, they wouldn't be known to, you know, they wouldn't know who the surgical tutor is or what it is. Yeah. All the time, we're now getting to the stage where a lot of our surgical tutors are from the whole range of yeah. specialities. What's happening nationally is most deaneries are um, engaging surgical tutors specifically for core surgical training. Okay. So they have actually much less involvement in higher surgical training from a leadership point of view. They're ASs, CSs. Yeah, yeah. They'll be involved in various things, but from a day-to-day point of view, um, it's really trying to enhance core surgical training, which has much more challenges than higher does. Sure. Uh, in terms of getting the um, trainees the requirements that they have. It's funny that you touch on it, but I think my memories of course surgical training were not that favorable and it was just the kind of thing you had to hump through and you know you yeah and you get to promised land yeah there's a bit of there still is a bit of that and i think there may and this is a bit of a scary thing to say for me is that there may always be a little bit of that um i think that's something all the heads of school nationally um when we meet that's something we're actively always trying to change um uh, and we can touch back, back upon that if you want to. Uh, just to talk about the finishing off about surgical yeah. tutors. Yeah. Um, it's worth mentioning at this stage. So you have one surgical tutor per hospital, per trust. Right. But every department will have an education or training lead. Sure. Uh, so, yeah. for example, if there are five surgical specialties within a hospital, say general surgery, orthopedics, plastics, ENT, maxillofacial, yeah. each one of those will have a training lead for their specialty. yeah. yeah, yeah. And then there'll be one surgical tutor who'll be from one of those specialities. For the whole hospital? For the whole hospital, yeah. And that does vary a lot because some hospitals have got very few trainees, others have got a lot. So the surgical tutor job can be very different depending on what hospital you're in. When would you go see a surgical tutor as opposed to like a clinical supervisor? Yeah, so again, I think there is. this is where the pyramid system probably is helpful because what sometimes trainees do, and it's... Um, it's an observation, really. I can, I, and I probably did it as a trainee myself. Is sometimes yeah. you jump ahead to the next person just naturally, and there's actually someone else who'd be better helping you. So I say this a lot of indu- at inductions. If you have a question or a worry or something you'd like sorting out, my sort of hierarchy is your clinical supervisor first, yeah, then your AES, yeah. Depending on what level of training you are and where you are, possibly surgical tutor, but after AES, it's probably CPD, yeah. Um, if your TPD can't solve it, then it's usually head of school or associate head of school. And if they can't solve it, it's usually associate dean. Yeah. Um, and head of school and associate dean will often work quite closely together anyway. Um, there's also a few other people involved, and that's why that Krebs cycle diagram comes in quite useful, is that that's really <laughs> the trust and the deanery side. But there is also, within the trust, there's the director of medical education. Um, there are freedom to speak up guardians. Yeah. There's um, the HR can be quite helpful with various things. So it really depends on what your issue is. And I think trainees often forget about employment issues, have to go to the lead employer, yeah. uh, sort of thing. So it's important not to jump around and try and find the right person. However, what's really important is if you've got a concern or the person you go to doesn't really deal with it in the way you want, especially if it's a concern you're raising, then you must be able, uh, I really want to get people to feel they can go to the next person up. Yeah. So just to use an example, if you have a problem, a difficulty with your AES, yeah. I want any trainee to be able to go to their TPD. Sure. And if you, if, if you have a problem with your TPD, then I would want the trainees to come to me. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, all that sort of thing. So um, thankfully, those things don't happen often. 
but yeah. it happens often enough for me to be busy with these things. So uh, I, I, I'm much more, I'd much rather a trainee come to me with something that I can say, actually, that's not a problem. You can go back to X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Rather than not come to me and then it escalate more and more. Okay. Um, let's say it's a, it's like a, tr- a trading problem. Uh, you know, you're a core trainee or a junior reg or whatever, and you want to, you feel you're not doing enough um I don't know, clinics, theatre or whatever. Um, is that something you could raise with a surgical tutor or would you just kind of point that conversation at your clinical supervisor? So I think this is where it's different for core trainees and higher. So we'll stick with core trainee. Yeah, yeah. Um, a core trainee certainly can go to their surgical tutor, but in the first instance, they should really discuss it with their CS and AES. Okay. So there's ways to be proactive and then reactive. So from a yeah. proactive point of view, yeah. It's nice if the core trainee, when they discuss their initial meeting with the educational supervisor, yeah. this is where I want to change those meetings from tick box to actually something useful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is you actually say, okay, Mr. AES or Miss AES, Mrs. AES, what are you going to, you know, what can I get out of this post? How many clinics should I be achieving? You know, yeah, yeah. it will vary by post. So if you and your educational supervisor agree that you should get one clinic per week, yeah, that makes it much easier in a two months time to say, I'm not getting that clinic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, if they say that you should be able to get three theatre sessions, then you can actually say, well, actually, I'm not getting them. It's quite a difficult balance to know when to raise that issue because the way rotors work, yeah. you, know, you have a run of nights or rotor gaps, uh, annual leave, et cetera, then you may have a thing, but in the way departments are under pressure. Uh, but the, my general rule of thumb was to flag things up earlier rather than late. I've had trainees who've come in a six-month placement at month five and a half. Yeah. I'm not getting the training to which the response has been, well, thank you for raising it, but what do you want them to do now? Uh, so I think, uh, but again, it's, I do understand that trainees find it difficult to raise some of these things because to be very frank, sometimes you get fobbed off. Yeah. I think that's, that's fair. You sometimes, sometimes you get fobbed off saying, Oh, well, you know, it's this, it's that Whereas actually it's other issues that which could be resolved. Yeah. Um, so I think highlight it early. And then if your AES or CS can't deal with it, then do go to the surgical tutor for a court training. Oh, or your TPD, or the TPD. Okay. Training program director would want to know about these things. And then what often happens is they will liaise with the, the um, surgical tutor and the AS. So it becomes a more collaborative approach to it all. Fair. Fair enough. Fair enough. So one of the next questions I sort of have is um, it's about us as trainees and uh, the school or the deanery itself, because it seems that our interaction is either ARCP or when we're in trouble. So uh, what other times would we as average trainees um, interact with the school of surgery or the deanery? So I guess some of it's a bit hidden behind the behind the works, isn't it? You know, like when you watch a movie, you're not thinking about all the people who've gone into making that movie. You know, you, you're watching the yeah. actor, not thinking about the makeup and the film. Yeah, 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 fair, fair. Um, so every time you're touching base with your CS and AS, in some way you're touching base with the school of surgery, but in a bit of a, a detached way. 
yeah. every time you're interacting with your TPD, you're definitely, um, you know, um, getting that school uh, oversight and overview. Sure. Um, you're right. So the school has a couple of different roles. One is to maintain the minimum standard, the ARCP. So, yeah. yes, that's where you'll definitely, if you're dipping under trajectory or yeah. you need extra support. So dipping under trajectory is not a criticism. It's just something uh-huh. that happens. And if you need extra support, which is quite a routine thing, then that's where we are here to support it. Now, trainees still feel that that's a punishment or a failure, which we can come back to. Um, But that's where you'll definitely, but that does feel like a telling off sometimes or, you know, it's quite stressful for trainees that. On the other side of that, so induction is where you will see the school. Yeah. That's a one-off thing. And I'm very conscious you have an induction at the beginning of SD3 and that's it for six years. So that's that's why I want to bring these trainee away days in where it's almost like a yearly touching base with the school. Yeah. It'll be a bit of process stuff, like how to succeed at an ARCP, how to use ISCP better, but also a bit of value-added stuff like mentorship, leadership, human factors, how to develop your career. You know, there's a whole range of external speakers that could be brought in for those. There are opportunities which some of your colleagues will do. Every um, speciality has a training committee, and that okay. has a trainee rep on it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's another way that the trainees feed in. And that's a really important role. Um, so the training committees have acronyms as well, I'm afraid, STC, Specialist Training Committee. Yeah. Uh, and they meet twice a year where all the, each of the consultant trainers from a unit, the training program director and the trainee, and the trainee rep has a really vital role in that meeting to voice what's happening from the trainee side. Yeah. And then twice a year we have trainee reps meetings where it's just it's all the trainee reps from all the different specialities without yeah. consultants there. Because sometimes right. it's difficult to speak up without, you know, when your consultants are there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some training committees, the environment is quite open and collaborative. Others, it's a little bit more old school. The culture's a little bit different. So we have that. Um, and then the dean, outside the school of surgery, the dean who have lots of um, uh, educational events for trainees, but they get filled up very quickly. Uh, things like mentorship, coaching, leadership. Yeah. And of course, there are the other things like the modules from Edge Hill, uh, yeah. education leadership, which again is a deanery provided um, uh, provided event. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, the idea of residential or away day sounds really fun. I mean, like my wife's a GP and she did a ST two or three residential, and she like went to Lake District and did yoga for two days. And I was like, Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I don't know if so things have changed a little bit because of the environment we're in and funding yeah, and yeah. cost living crisis. I think the away days might just be a day thing. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I definitely would like to explore a residential um, thing because it really does add to the networking and well-being side of things. Massive, definitely. Massive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she said that um, it was helpful because she met lots of the people in the same CCG. So once you get onto higher, the, the higher surgical training conveyor belt, you will meet people across specialty, but you don't really get to know them. You've, you've touched on something that's that's really important and pretty close to my heart actually and that's support for trainees when they're struggling or like what sort of resources do the school have and how would a trainee that feels i don't know a bit overwhelmed how do they access those resources and what what can the, the deanery ha- provide to help yeah thanks that's a really important question and i think um uh this is where i think the school has a 
probably one of its main responsibilities. Again, you know, all the other processes and things sort of happen. I think providing a culture and environment where trainees can ask for help, because that's probably the biggest step. If you ask for help, there's actually a lot of help out there. Yeah. Uh, but actually, you know, and surgical training is quite a old school environment in many ways. It's quite competitive. It's quite, yeah. you know, um, and the nature of what people are doing. Um, but it's, um, it's really important that we provide that support and there is a lot of help out there and it's just flagging it up and asking for help early. So whether that's your clinical supervisor, educational supervisor, training program directors are very, very responsive to these sort of things. And none of the training program directors would ever be um, worried or anything about a trainee approaching them. They may signpost you to some other resources, yeah, uh, but they would be very, very good at um, judging as to where your problem sits in the because they're quite experienced at these things. And it's regular for me. A couple of times a week, training program director will ring me up to ask for advice about a trainee requiring extra support. Some things are educational, yeah, and some things become employment, yeah, and some things are health and well-being to do with occupational health or GP. Yeah. So, yeah, I won't get into the, any individual things, but there's a whole range of resources out there, and it's just getting getting trained to understand that it is there's no weakness in asking for help. Part yeah. of the reason I'm in this role is because of multiple episodes I experienced throughout. M- my undergraduate and postgraduate training. So now I feel in a situation where I can sort of role model some of the good experiences I had, but also not allow things which I had negative experiences of to happen again. Uh, so yeah, there's lots of things out there, whether it's a trust, the deanery, the employer. Um, and I think it's important to remember sometimes for trainees, some things fall to you as a patient sometimes. So it may be your GP, you may need yeah. treatment as a patient. So yeah. We're obviously here as the employer and the educational side, but we're in, in the in the job we do, and this is not just surgery. This is any uh, any uh, NHS type thing. Yeah, as we're healthcare givers and supervisors, sometimes there's a grey area between the two. Yeah, um, but there's no other avenue of work where you would cross over into those two. So it's something I explain to the TPDs and educational supervisors. Yeah. We are not the trainees, doctor or GP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd really like to reassure any trainee who's thinking about any concern is we treat everything with the utmost confidence and respect uh, and empathy and sympathy. And you'll be amazed at what your colleagues have gone through, senior and your peers as well. Uh, so I think that's really important to just be able to speak out. I, w- I want to come back to that. I think it's really important that you, you mentioned that because I think when you're a core trainee, what I remember is because it's quite competitive. You're trying to go for these jobs and the jobs are coveted and you keep your cards very close to your chest and everyone's like, Oh, I'm smashing these lists and doing all these procedures. I did a, a total hip replacement in 30 minutes. My boss let me do the whole thing. And and you never speak out about weakness or trouble or, and it gets really difficult. And what was nice actually is the second I kind of um, got into ST3 and I sort of just said to someone quietly, you know, uh, I'm not sure I can do that. And like, oh yeah, no, don't worry about it. I couldn't do this procedure uh, until I was like ST4, maybe five. And perhaps that's evolved over time to make it a bit more permissible to talk about our shortcomings, our weaknesses, and how we can improve. I think I think it is happening. Actually, I can definitely feel a bit of a culture change, not over weeks or months, but over the yeah. many years I've been involved. Yeah, um, you know, I started in the NHS as a third year student about 30 years ago this month, last month. Oh, goodness. So, yeah, I've been around for quite a while. Yeah. Um, 
I think it's training to understand it's actually not necessarily a weakness or underperformance. It's just being normal. Yeah. We all develop differently. We develop at different rates and we all have different episodes happening in our life at different times. Um, and that's just normal. Um, one of the areas of support I kind of wanted to go into a bit more detail of was a little bit more about burnout. And the reason is, is because I think if you're educationally underperforming then i'm sure that you get perhaps more enhanced supervision or get more sort of clinical time and i remember when i had this issue i was taken off service provision things and put more into into throw i had more educational stuff thrown at me um but i feel like burnout's prevalent because you know i'm sure you know it as well everyone in the profession is just knackered it's just been three years of kind of unrelenting uh strain and the general public waiting list and all that stuff they have this expectation that things will ramp up again because covid is 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 a myth when the reality is that we've been working at 110 115 whatever percent the entire time if a trainee says hang on uh, i shouldn't be here right now i'm i'm really struggling what can the deanery offer that person so again i think the most important thing touching upon what we discussed before is that the trainee feels able to flag that up as soon as they're worried even if it's at an early stage because sometimes little interventions can help yeah a clinic day an early start a late um, a late start an early finish on a certain day yeah often decompress the situation so um but that's obviously a very early thing yeah, uh, it really depends on where they're going with what's happening because some of these things will go into a bit of employment and hockey hole type things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, yeah, the TPDs are very um, experienced at trying to approach these things and how it can fit in with the department. Because you've touched upon a really important point is that while we're trying to adjust something for individuals, which is what we're here to do, the rest of the service then needs to still run. Yeah. So sometimes we might um, say to a trainee, you don't need to do on calls for a period of time. There's an option to think about less than full-time working, yeah. times a career break or a career pause. Now, I think what's really important, these things often sound really good and et cetera, et cetera, but I think what I'm very aware of is that we need to have the whole picture. So some of those have a financial implication, so it may not work for all trainees. Yeah. Um, sometimes trainees are worried about their training time because less than full-time may extend your training time a little bit. So I think one of my roles and responsibilities is to make sure we're upfront and transparent with trainees at all these different, managing the expectations of what we can do. But there's lots of ways of decompressing an acute situation. Yeah. And also thinking how to manage it over a period of time because there'll be different pinch points, you know, ST3, often you're on a bit of a high having just got the job. Yeah. Times, depending on how you're performing, the first day RCP can be quite stressful. Then you get into the middle area. Then you've got exams coming up. Uh, multiple ARCPs, you may be thinking about a program. That's just the program, never mind real life with family, friends, caring responsibilities. So, yeah, there's a whole range of things that we can offer support with. Of course, that's where mentorship and coaching yeah. fits in as well. But- Is it like um, if you've got, if you're under high stress and you feel a bit depersonalized, you would sort of encourage the trainee to talk to occupational health, talk to the GP, and then the, the DNA will provide kind of educational relief. Or- yeah, exactly. So I think it depends. So in certain situations, you know, a trainee may have to go off from work straight away. You know, it depends yeah. on how acute it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that, you know, again, that's why I mean we become patients sometimes, uh, and that is absolutely fine. That's what yeah. we, we're here to support with. Um, and that side of things, 
it may be the GP, it may be the trust occupational health that supports, or the lead employer occupational health. And there's a bit of crossover between who can support the three. Um, because those three are um, now providing care for patients, you know, the yeah. occupational health, they're all under-resourced. So some sometimes they work quite well. Other times it can take ages to get a GP appointment. Lead employer can be difficult to get an appointment. So that's... Um, that can be a, a sticking point sometimes, but yeah, they they will support uh, um, more um, the well-being side of things. Then we can look at how to modify and adjust your training and things. But it's quite straightforward to put a pause on training, you know, slow things down, speed things up, you know. And I think sometimes training feel that training is a bit of a race. Yeah, uh, you know, get through six years, done and dusted, off you go. And of course, everyone's journey is slightly different. Yeah, yeah. If there was one thing that you as the head of school wanted a surgical trainee um, who is at the point of burnout to to know and to realise, what would that be? Ask for help as soon as possible. Ask for help. Uh, maybe I should actually change it to this. If you feel that you're not getting the answer you want to go to the next person up. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, what some trainees do, and actually this is human nature, it's not a trainee issue, it's a human issue if you don't get the answer you want sometimes you ask many many people so that doesn't always work to your advantage but i think the key person to involve if you're not getting the right answer is your tpd because they have a much more global overview and a much more understanding uh of of things but um yeah do do remember the parallel between education which is supervisor tpd me and your own well-being which is gp and occupational health because sometimes if you go to occupational health first, they will make a good intervention and then they will inform the educational guys what needs to be done. So we work, I work together quite closely with lead employer. Yeah. Um, it's important at this stage to say any conversation you have with lead employer is confidential. Yeah. <clears throat> they separate out you as a patient and an employee. Uh, but what it means is we work together quite closely to manage um, trainees on long-term sick leave, burnout, psychological, mental health issues. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, we're here to support all of those. Good. It's reassuring to hear from, you know, the head of school that it's all right to ask for help. It's all right to say, I'm not okay. Yeah, no, I think so. I think uh, I think that culture is changing bit by bit. But, of course, for me, I, uh, I, I want to make sure everybody can find themselves in that situation the way they can ask for help. Because every time I hear a trainee who's, worried about asking for help that that really um if i only had one thing i could change that would probably be it i think that's a, a very noble thing really to to aspire to because it's not yeah it's not easy any of this well mr quadra i think that's been uh, a very very informative session at least for me if, if no one else because there's lots of things i've just smiled and nodded and pretended to understand and um i haven't really understood it all so thank you very much for your time. I think that was uh, really beneficial and um, a great way to sort of kick off our podcast series. Well, you're very welcome. I said, and thank you for inviting me. It's great to have this opportunity and uh, uh, hopefully sessions like this will give people an avenue of uh, getting a bit more information in areas that they want. Because, uh, again, a lot of the detail I have may not be the sort of thing every trainee wants to know everything about, but I think sharing some understanding would be great. So thank you for the opportunity. No, not at all. It's really nice to have like a human face and a human voice 
attached to this organization that seems a bit shadowy and secretive and stuff because it, it almost invokes like a, a fear in people, the deanery, to have, you know, a person who's been through it and done that explain that actually we're not here. We're not here on purely punitive reasons. We're here to try and help you does make it a lot less anxiety inducing. Yeah, that's great to hear. And uh, hopefully we can have more of these sort of things in the future and the various other options for uh, uh, training engagement. So that'd be great. Yeah.